be, would you open them to Matthew chapter 15? And I want you to notice in particular as we start this lesson, something that is said in verse 13. And we're going to use that as the the basis for what we're going to look at this morning as we talk about being uprooted. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 13, here's Jesus' words. Every plant that my heavenly Father did not plant will be uprooted. And when you read something like that, I think that offers a lot of questions to to our minds. Well, uh, what does it look like to be planted by the Father? What does it look like to not be planted by the Father? And what is this uprooting that Jesus is talking about? Because he says it in the context of what was just read for us in those first nine verses of Matthew chapter 15. And so we're going to look at what was happening as Jesus uh, is, is teaching. He has been doing miracles, and yet this rejection of Jesus continues to mount. And in fact, this rejection is becoming all the more evident and all the more clear. You will notice in Matthew chapter 15 and in verse 1, you already have ominous words. It, it tells us there, that Jesus was approached by the Pharisees and the scribes from Jerusalem. Jesus is not in Jerusalem. We have been seeing him in Galilee. Jesus is about 60 miles away from Jerusalem. And anytime we read in the gospel accounts of the Pharisees or the scribes or the Sadducees, we never see them as a people who are honestly inquiring of Jesus And they're always looking to trap him, always looking to challenge him, always looking to try to discredit him. And this is certainly an instance where you have these people making the journey. I mean, I'm not even sure I'd want to do that in my car 60 miles. They didn't have a car. They're going 60 miles all the way to Galilee for this very reason. Did you notice the question? Why don't your disciples wash their hands? According to the tradition of the elders, (laughs) we're going to go out of our way and we have a problem with you, Jesus. We don't like that your disciples are not washing their hands according to this tradition that has been passed down. Now, as you probably know, if you've grown up in the pews, there's nowhere that you can go into the scriptures and find where God told all of Israel before you eat a meal, you need to ritually purify your hands and arms to make sure that you had not received any kind of Gentile defilement or cooties or anything like that. This has nothing to do with, you know, we all appreciate it when people wash their hands before they eat. Nothing to do with that. That's not what this is, is dealing with. It is all about ceremony and ritual defilement. And what it seems has has happened in this is that while there were no instructions to all of Israel for this kind of cleansing, the only thing that you can find that is remotely close is that in Exodus chapter 30, the law instructed the priests to wash their hands at the laver in preparation for uh, temple or tabernacle offerings. And so it is likely guessed that what happened is they said, well, if it's good enough for the priests, it's good enough for everybody. I mean, if the priests have to do that, then well, we all should do that. And so while the instructions not to Israel, it seems that they had seen something back here and said, 
Well, if the priest should do that, then we should all do that as well. And it should be followed by by all people. What is interesting is the way Jesus responds to this. I think it is interesting that Jesus in verse three does not say the law doesn't say that (laughs) he could. He could say you guys are making stuff up. Uh, That's not something we need to follow. You're you're just he doesn't do that. You will notice in verse three, he, he spins it back on them and says, why do you break God's commandment? By your tradition. He says, okay, you're so concerned about your rules and your traditions and and your way of doing things that you are not even following the things of God. And I want you to notice how he makes an example of that in verse four. God said, honor your father and your mother. And God said, whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But notice what they were doing. They, it says there in verse five, were teaching rather than financially honoring your father and mother in their time of need. Somehow we scholars have not found what the thinking and reasoning was, but somehow if you had your money dedicated as an offering to the temple, then you were no longer under obligation to financially care for your parents. It's almost like, well, since I spent all my money on God, I can't spend my money on you because I'm all out. And so that seems to be what they were attempting to do. And so Jesus now drives at that in verse six and says, in this way, you have nullified the word of God because of your tradition." So there's a couple of things at play that I want us to see as we look at what the problem was. And then we will move forward into some applications as to why this whole scene would remotely matter to us in terms of defilement and being uprooted by God. One of the things that I think is really important to put our finger on that you see the people doing, these religious leaders doing, that Jesus is now condemning is they are taking laws that were given to a certain set of people And say, well, let's just go ahead and make a rule and say that needs to be something everybody does. They're elevating their own rules, which I think as an aside, I think it's worth worth making the point. Just we have the tendency to like to do that kind of thing. We like to go in the scriptures and go, well, it said that they did this back here. So we should all do that, too. Well, audience matters. (laughs) Who God was talking to matters. And there's a fine way to want to go back and pick out things that you find in the scriptures under the old law and go, well, since the priest did that, or since the priest wore that, or since the worship was like this, or since they were doing these kinds of things, that means we need to do it too. And I want you to see God's going, no. Who commands are given to matters. If the commands were given to the priests under the old covenant, that doesn't mean they're for us. If the rules and the laws that God gave were to the people of Israel, then that means it wasn't given to us. And we have to be so careful about that. In fact, as a little aside, I do believe that's one of the reasons why there are so many religious groups today. is because everybody has a fine way of picking and choosing what things in the Old Testament they like and bring it forward. 
I'm still waiting for somebody to bring forward all those sacrifices. Nobody wants that one. But everybody goes back and they grabs all kind of everything else back there. They go, oh, well, they were wearing this or they were worshiping like that or they were doing this. It's like, no, 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 no. You don't get to go back there and say, well, that was given to them. So I think we should do it like that, too. That's what they were doing. That's exactly what's happening here. They are creating a rule, making a tradition and applying it to the people and therefore have come up to Jesus and say, your disciples are breaking the rules. And I love how Jesus then comes back upon them and says, the problem is you seem to care more about your rules than what God said. And he makes that illustration to show how they cared about their rules. They made a rule. If you give your money to the temple, you don't have to honor your mother or your father. Where's that in the scriptures? (laughs) Where does it say, oh, there's loopholes out of honoring your mother and father. You're not going to find those loopholes. And yet they had created one so that they could get out of doing what God said. That is, I think, a, a very important picture that's being given to us here. Is that what they were attempting to do was find a way to get out of doing what God had told them to do. Either through their human logic or making of rules that we'll find some way that we can get away from the plain teaching of what God has told us to do. Now, I want you to notice the the picture that Jesus paints here because it's a word that we really don't like, but you'll notice in verse 7 he says, hypocrites. (laughs) Uh, Those are fighting words, hypocrites. And the point that he's getting, if you look back in verse 9 of what they've done, is he says, you are nullifying the word of God because of your traditions, and therefore you are a hypocrite because what you are doing is you're trying to look righteous, but your heart is far from God. Notice that's what he quotes from Isaiah. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, verse 7, when he said, this people honors me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. That's a really interesting point. And notice when Jesus says that, he doesn't mean Isaiah was waiting 700 years for these words to come to pass. Isaiah was talking to his own generation and saying, you guys are honoring God in word, but your hearts are far from God. And Jesus says 700 years later, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. You, you, you say all the right things. And, and that's what the Pharisees would do. You come up to Jesus and go, we are very righteous. And your disciples are not. Because they are not washing their hands. It all sounds very righteous, very pious. And Jesus says, guess what? Your hearts are far from God. And in doing that, I want you to notice what he says there. He says there in verse 9, Your worship of me is useless or vain. That's a big thing. Your worship is a waste of time. Now, I want you to notice why Jesus says that their worship was a waste of time. Because the problem is not, well, here's why your worship is a waste of time. What you do is you honor me with your lips But actually, you're living in complete sin and you're out there in the world full of the passions and lusts and desires of the world. And that's why your worship is useless. Now, I'll make the point. 
That'd be true. But that's not Jesus' point. It would be true if you live your life as a hypocrite Monday through Saturday doing whatever you want to do. But on Sunday, oh, we love God. Hypocritical. Saying righteous things, but heart is far from God. But I want you to notice that's not the scene. What made these people's hearts far from God? Why was their worship in vain? You will notice the end of verse 9. It says, because what they are doing is making laws out of their human rules. Teaching as doctrines, you know, teaching these are the laws of God, even though they're just human commands. I want you to think about that for a minute. He just said, your worship is useless when you make up rules and say they're God's rules. When you come along and say, here's what you've got to do. And God goes, that's not what I said to do. And again, that phrase in verse verse six, uh, what the translation I'm using today is nullified. Some of your translations say made void. Uh, What a picture. You have absolutely nullified the word of God. You have absolutely nullified his his commandments, making these laws out of your own human human rules. And I think that is so fascinating because you think about this is what these Pharisees have done. They have made this long journey to try to enforce a rule that has been handed down by oral tradition from their ancestors. And they're saying, you, 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 are, you are ruining God's law. Jesus says, actually, you're ruining God's law. You're the ones who have vain worship. You're the ones whose hearts are far from God. You're the ones that are nullifying the word of God. And I want you to know, think about that idea of invalidating or nullifying it. How is that possible? Why could Jesus say, That what they are doing by bringing in these additional rules is nullifying the word of God. Why why is it that strong? Why is it that worship is vain when you do that? I want you to think about two things with that. Number one, you're nullifying the word of God, number one, because you're saying your think-sos are equal to God's revealed word. You're saying how I understand what we should do is just as important as actually what God had said. We're taking human traditions and human teachings and saying that's elevated to the level of God. And friends, it's an important warning to be careful about. Sometimes we get so used to doing things a particular way that we assume that it's God ordained when it's just simply the way we do things. We have to be really careful about that. That is it something that God said we have to do it this way? Or is it just the way we've always done it because that works for us? We have to be very careful that we distinguish between the two. What is just human idea? And what is the word of God? But to push it further, you'll notice that the whole problem of what had happened here is they used their rules to not do what God said. It's one thing to elevate your rules and say, well, that's the same as what God said. 
But they're actually elevating their rules so that you don't have to do what God said. And you imagine, it's a good thing we don't do things like this today. Well, let me give you a few, few illustrations of how we do. Actually, we do that quite a bit. We enjoy creating rules and say, well, here's my think so's about how all this is. And so therefore, it really doesn't apply and, and all of that. I mean, I, probably one of the ways that we do that the most is we're going to get to Matthew 19 eventually. We already did Matthew 5. Jesus said, you don't divorce. But what do we do and come along? Yeah, but, you know, he was really terrible. You know, it was miserable. If you knew what, what just a louse he was, you would, you know, we would, okay, we're, what are we doing? We're taking our think-sos and nullifying what God said. We come up with some human logic. We go, oh, well, things are just so bad. Okay, that, we understand. Or especially today, we're going to, Change the idea of sexual immorality is fine. You know, I know the Bible says sexual immorality is wrong, but it doesn't really mean that, right? It doesn't mean that those things are wrong. It can't possibly mean that sleeping around is a problem. It can't possibly mean that adultery is a sin. It can't possibly mean those words that homosexuality is a sin. It can't mean any of those things. It has to be referring to something else, and we just nullify it. It plainly says what we're supposed to do, but because we don't like it, we find some way to get around it. That's what they're doing. They didn't like the idea of having to financially support their parents, so let's figure out some way to get around it. And the problem is, as I have on the screen there, our rules so often nullify what God said. It is amazing how we have a fine way to take what God plainly said to do or not to do and go, well, it can't mean that. There's only one reason we think it can't mean that. Because we don't want it to mean that. <laughs> There's no other reason we do that. We look at it and go, well, that can't be that. I don't want to do that. That's too hard. That's too difficult. That, that, that's too challenging. I, I don't want that. And yet that's exactly what Jesus is putting his finger on. And that's where Jesus goes with this. I want you to notice in verse 10... That the scene is not gone here. In the midst of this, I just visualize this. <clears throat> These Pharisees and scribes have come up to Jesus all the way from Jerusalem and said, your disciples are wrong. And Jesus turned around and go, no, actually, you're wrong. You're nullifying the word of God and what you're doing. And then notice in verse 10, it says, and summoning the crowd. <laughs> it's like... You can imagine this whole discussion's going on, and then Jesus goes, Hey, everybody, come in real tight. I got something to say. I, I, I'm going to use this as a teaching point. Let's explore this idea a little bit further. And that's what he does in verse, verse 10. Listen and understand. It is not that what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles the person. And then the disciples came up and told him, Do you know? That the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said. <laughs> Gather the crowd going, hey everybody, it's not what comes in the mouth, it's, it's what comes out of your mouth that defiles. And the disciples go, man, the Pharisees are mad that you said that. They are so upset. Here's Jesus in verse 13. Every plant 
that my heavenly father did not plant will be uprooted. Leave them alone. They are blind guides. And if a blind, if the guide, if the blind guide, sorry, and if the blind guide the blind, both will fall into the pit. Notice he makes an observation here and he points to something that is really important. That clearly at that day and time was something that was missed is that it is what comes out of the person that defiles. That all of those ceremonies and rituals and teachings that you find in the law of Moses were pointing to the problem of the heart. Trying to explain to the people, you need cleansing before God. You, as you live your life as a normal Israelite, are not acceptable to God. You are in need of sacrifices and atonement and cleansing because you are defiled before God. It's trying to impart this idea of the necessity of holiness before God. And they took that as, well, as long as I have all of my externals in line, who cares what's in the inside? And and Jesus is going, that's not what that meant. And that's not what that was supposed to communicate. Defilement is not what you were eating, but what you're saying to people. The things that come out of the heart. And that's the whole idea of what you see here when he says, the heavenly father will uproot every plant that he did not plant. Now think about how that's an answer to what the disciples said. Disciples come up to Jesus and say, you know, you really, you really upset them. And Jesus doesn't go, man, I'm sorry. Sorry that I told the truth. Sorry I said it like that. No, he he pushes it, doesn't he? And he goes, well, here's the problem. They haven't been planted by the Father. And because they haven't been planted by the Father, they're ultimately uh, uprooted. And I think what Jesus is doing is just speaking about his own teachings. He has been saying this idea over and over again. That his teachings are the sorting. Remember the parable that we saw of the sower casting seed. And what's happening is the seed is being cast. Sorting is happening. Who has good hearts? Who's got the thorny? Who's got the the hard hearts? A sorting is going on as Jesus is teaching. And so here Jesus just taught something powerful. You are nullifying the word of God. Your heart is far from God. Your worship is useless before God. You are elevating your rules as a way to get around God's law. And what should have been the response? Repentance. You're right. That's what we're doing. No, what were they? What happened? We're offended. I cannot believe you said that. Don't you know who we are? We are the religious leaders. How dare you? How dare you challenge us? How dare you say that we are doing something wrong? How dare you say our hearts are far from God? How dare you say our worship is in vain? And that's why Jesus makes this point in in verse 14. Notice what he says there. You need to stay away from them. Don't listen to them. Why? Because they don't see. But they think they do. Oh, they think they do. They think they've got God figured out. They think their teachings are right on. They're trying to lead everybody. And he says, you know what they're doing? They're blind and they're taking the blind into a pit. You don't want to follow them because guess what they're going to do? They're going to take you into a pit. Friends, you don't want to listen to someone who's not following the line by line word of God, but is all about the I think so's. 
Hey, I've got a great story to tell for you today. <laughs> don't follow that person. Hey, here's what I think about the, Don't follow that person. He says, does the blind leading the blind? That's what they were doing. Yeah, we, you, know, you don't have to honor your father and mother. Just set it aside as a dedication to God. It's, it's, it's a great, you know, tax scheme. You just kind of get away from it. You don't have to pay. Unbelievable. Truly unbelievable. And he says, you don't want to follow people who's, who are, have that mentality of trying to get out of doing what God says or to teach their own opinions as if it's the word of God or here I am and I've got all of my, my, my think so's and this is what you need to do. Don't follow them. Don't follow people who don't have the, here's what the word of God says. But let me underscore it a little bit more. Don't follow people who say, yeah, here's what the word of God says, but here's how you can get around that. Let me show you a loophole. (laughs) Let's nullify the plain teaching. And the reason why that's important is you can find a lot of places that do that. You'll find plenty of places who will validate whatever you want to hear. You can feel so good, but it's not what God said to do. It's a nullifying of exactly what God had told them to do. And so they're not planted by God because they're offended by the scriptures, not repentant. That's what's showing who they are. They hear the word of God and they put up a barrier. If they'd been planted by God, they would have responded to what Jesus said and they would have changed. But this proved that they were going to need to be uprooted. Now, I want you to notice something in verse 15, because this fits what we have been seeing over the past few weeks. Notice Peter says, explain this parable to us. Remember, we have talked about how Jesus says hard things to the crowds. And he says hard things with intention to see who's going to come up to him and go, explain that to me. Because there's a lot of people that are going to go, that was hard. You know what? I don't understand. I'm out here. Too complicated. Vroom, over my head. You know, I'm just... You know, I'm just not it. Jesus intentionally left things to see who wanted to dig in. And here it's happening again. This would have been very hard to say. Imagine to the people of Israel, it's not what goes in the mouth that defiles. Wait a minute. Didn't the old law say that it did? It it sure did. It sure did. It said if you eat those unclean foods, you've got a problem with God before God. So Peter's like, I need some clarification here. (laughs) How does that work? Explain that to me. What what makes sense of this for me? Verse 16. Do you still lack understanding? He asked. Do you not realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And this defiles a person, for from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander. These are the things that defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile the person. He underscores it now. What comes out of the mouth defiles because it reveals what's in the heart. I want you to think about how often Jesus keeps saying this. 
You might be realizing, I seem to be saying this a lot because we've been in the Gospel of Matthew because Jesus keeps saying it. For example, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. Or Matthew chapter 6 and verse 31, Jesus said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 12, verse 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew 13 and verse 15, the problem with the people was that they had dull hearts. Jesus keeps saying the heart is the problem. The heart is the problem. The heart is the problem. It's almost that we seem to struggle hearing that because he has to keep telling us this. And now he says it again, true defilement is not the external, but the true defilement is what comes from within. And I want you to listen to verse 19. Where do the evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and sexual moralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander, where does it come from? In the heart. It's in the heart. Jesus keeps pointing, it's a heart problem. Defilement is a matter of the heart. Sin is a matter of the heart. These behaviors and activities, they are revealing to us that there is a heart problem. And I will forewarn you, we're going to keep saying this because Jesus is going to keep saying it as we keep going this year. (laughs) He's going to say it some more because we lose sight of it and we focus so much on some outside thing and miss the problems on the inside. The reason for the struggle with sin is there's a problem on the inside. The reason these sins happen is because there's a problem with the heart. And that's what he's trying to get us to see. The reason we say things we shouldn't say is because there's a heart problem. And so he's underscoring that idea here again. Why is this the constant teaching of Jesus? Why does he keep doing this over and over again? Because it's easier to look righteous than be right in heart. It is a lot easier to look the part of being righteous. And it's a whole lot harder to have a right heart before God. It is really easy to look pure in front of everybody. But it's a whole lot harder to be pure before God. And what happens is. We like to focus and think, well, because my outside looks good, I'm okay. And that's why he can drive this at the Pharisees, because what are the Pharisees doing? They're creating a set of rules that they want to keep. And it's a whole lot easier to do that than to keep the commands of God. It's a whole lot easier to make up our list of rules of what God wants. And we do this. If we're honest, we do this. Yeah, I know it says all these things, but here's the ones I keep. And this is the ones that we find easy. Obviously, murder's a sin because I don't want to kill somebody. Okay, check. Got that one. All right. What else, what else do I like to do that, that's God's? Uh, steal. Okay, I don't steal. So, yep, I'm a good Christian. I don't steal. But maybe the problem of anger in your heart, well, you know, we're all human. You don't know what they did. They were really awful. They deserved my wrath. We we don't read it and go, wow, that was just as convicting. No, we make 
a set of rules that we want to keep, call ourselves Christians, and that's so much easier than reading passages like this and going, I can't do that. I have to do exactly what God says. We love to do that. We make up our rules of what makes us okay. And for them, at least they didn't wash their hands and didn't break the tradition of the elders. And meanwhile, he quotes a passage that says, you know, if you don't honor your father and your mother, you should be put to death. But we wash our hands. I'm keeping my rules. I'm looking pious. It's a lot easier to look righteous than be righteous in heart. It's a lot easier to look pure to everybody than it is to be pure in heart. Here's the big point, and then we'll wrap up. How can we know that we are not planted by God? I started with that verse in verse 13. Every plant that my heavenly father did not plant will be uprooted. So how would we know that we're going to be uprooted? What would be the symptoms? What's the cause? If we nullify the word of God so that we can keep the defilements that we have in our hearts. If we come to the word of God and go, no, I've got my set of rules and I'm okay with what I'm doing. And I'm going to keep the ones that I like, but the ones that don't work for me, let's get the loophole out. Let's let's find the way around. There's got to be an alternative. That's what Jesus is driving at here in this whole paragraph. Those who are truly not planted by God are people who, when they come to the word of God, they try to nullify it rather than change. And I'll make a big plug for tonight. Tonight's lesson is all about how to make that change. What that looks like from James 1. We're going to talk about looking in a mirror and getting real when you look in the mirror. But the first step is admitting, I have to do what God says, even if I don't like it, or even if it's hard, because I want to be pure in heart before God, not fake everybody out. I want a clean heart before God, not look good to everybody else. That doesn't matter to me. I want God's praise and glory. I don't want what everybody else thinks. And so often we can just make it simply Let's look righteous. Let's pretend to be clean, but not do the work of dealing with the defilement that is in our hearts. Let me say it one more time in this different way. Do not put your life rules above God. Don't put your life rules above God. The way you think about life or the way you think you should do life or what you think is right or what you think is wrong or what you think is fair, don't elevate that above God. We must follow what God says, because if we put our rules and our think so's above God, Jesus just said we are not planted by the father and we will be uprooted. So we must not have a heart that avoids what God says. We need to have hearts that are convicted By what God says, saying the right words is not enough. Looking the part is not enough. Faking righteousness is not enough. God wants hearts that are near him. 
And if you get back to what was read for us in verse 8, that was the problem. The people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Our greatest need is to have purified hearts. That's our greatest need. And that means being willing to go before the word of God and let it change you. And we'll talk about that more tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, forgive us for our great tendency and our great desire to ignore your plain truth. Forgive us for when we have tried to get out of what you clearly tell us you want us to do. Forgive us for when we have elevated our opinions and ideas and our think-sos as equal to or greater than your word. And Lord, I pray for us that we all want to be near you, Lord. We want to have worship that is pleasing to you. We want to be plants that have been planted by your Father. So Lord, help us in that. Help us to be those people. Help us to see clearly what you are teaching to us. And help us to have open hearts to hear your word. To be convicted by what it says. And to not nullify it in the ways that we live or in the ways that we elevate our own standards to your level or even higher. Lord, forgive us for when we have made our rules be something of importance and give us hearts that seek your word to discover your truth in such a way so that we will follow only what your word says to us to do. And may we be a people who know your word so well so that we can clearly follow you with all of our heart. And so forgive us and help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, singing invitations.